Thanks for listening to the Toronto Legends podcast, powered by the Henderson Brewing Company, a locally owned, award-winning neighborhood brewery that celebrates Toronto's stories and culture. I'm your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Graydon Wellborn. Graydon is a managing partner at White Ash Group, one of North America's top cannabis recruitment and staffing agencies. Just like their headhunters in the consumer packaged goods world, Graydon's firm is a headhunter for the cannabis industry. He also has a whole other side of his life dedicated to the music industry, both in managing an up-and-coming band and in songwriting for other artists. Welcome, Graydon, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you? Andrew, thanks for having me. I am very, very grateful to be to be on the show today. Uh, I am currently in my apartment in downtown Toronto. Are you working primarily from home or wherever your laptop takes you? I'm always working from home. Uh, that being said, I travel a lot for work. So it's like you said, wherever the laptop takes me. Our whole company is, is a very mobile. So we don't have an office. We've just been working remotely since inception, basically. It's tremendous. Well, I think it's it's great for the freedom and it's great for not having a commute. But do you have any challenges getting to know your coworkers when you only see them virtually? That is a thing. <laughs> it's a thing that we are we are dealing with as we grow. Uh, it's funny. We some of our our team members have never met in person. Uh, I mean, I always try to meet everyone in person that we bring on, but uh, it is difficult. It's it's there's some challenges to making a company culture and getting to know people. Uh, because it it is um, you know it, it does feel like all, all only work and no play when you're you have you don't have an office you don't have an opportunity for those like little in between moments so you got to carve out time for that you got to figure out how to you know improve company culture by you know having events or just checking in on people you know you're there's different ways to do it but it is definitely something we are constantly battling with and I'm always trying to improve on. Well, I think one of the things that's very interesting for me is this whole industry, the cannabis industry. I am not very familiar with it. So to kind of set the table before we get into what your firm specifically does, why don't you give us an overview of the the legal status of cannabis today and how everything kind of changed when the Federal Cannabis Act legalized cannabis for recreational use back in October of 2018? Yeah, that's right. So cannabis, like you just said, uh, became recreationally legal in Canada, across all the provinces in uh, October 2018. And prior to that, it was medically legal. Uh, but now opening it up to, you know, uh, recreation means that there's going to be cannabis stores everywhere and you can just, anyone can get it as long as you're of legal age. So that's why you're seeing all the stores all around Toronto. Um, so we're now in, I guess, year four of legalization, which is pretty crazy. Canada is leading the way in terms of federal legalization. There's a couple other countries that have fully legalized, but Canada is pretty robust in the fact that we've got all our regulations sorted out. Um, We've got a ton of different products from different companies. Um, There's a lot of innovation happening here. Uh, There's still a long way to go though, Andrew. It's it's, it's a really, really tough industry. Um, There was some missteps that the government took when they were rolling out the Cannabis Act and uh, the standards and regulations there, but things are things are chugging along, and and now it's exciting because the U.S. is going to be online soon, and this is really one of the few moments I think in history where Canadians have an opportunity to be global experts in something. Uh, you know, on the global stage, we're not really looked at that way, and so 
it's exciting for people like me who are in the cannabis industry because when we go to other markets, we're bringing a ton of knowledge. I always like to say it's like I'm coming from the future mm. <laughs> in the least arrogant way possible. But, you <laughs> yeah. know, it, it, it is kind of true. I was just in New York, Andrew, because they're, they're coming online and they're going to um, legalize soon recreationally. And, you know, that that market is the size of Canada, basically. So mm-hmm. it's it's a huge deal. And obviously, you know, New York is a is a hub for innovation and and there's a ton of money there. And uh, it's just, you know, I'm watching New York make several mistakes that Canada made. Um, and so it, it is like Canadians are in the future. It's a good background to the whole industry. And, and you have explained why I do see a cannabis dispensary on, on what appears to be every corner of the city. Every corner. <laughs> <laughs> but your company, White Ash Group, you are not involved in product sales. What is White Ash Group? Why don't you describe it? So we are a recruitment, staffing and executive search firm that operates specifically and solely within the cannabis industry. So what that means is, Andrew, is that all of our end clients that we do hiring on behalf of are cannabis producers. So in Canada, they're called LP, licensed producers. Uh, In the US, they call them manufacturers. Uh, We also work with cannabis retail companies, cannabis tech companies. So that would be uh, maybe seed to sale tracking software or cannabis POS type of software, things like that. Uh, we also work with vape companies that do uh, cannab- manufacture cannabis vapes. And then we have some brand clients and uh, machinery clients. Anything under the sun, as long as it's cannabis, that's us. And then we have this, this little phrase that I coined uh, that describes what we do, which is we handle anything from seed to sale, roots to suits, which is just a fancy way of saying, you know, anyone touching the plant itself you know, in cultivation all the way up to a C-suite executive who's in the boardroom. And that's us. And we operate across uh, North America now. We started just in Toronto. And four years ago, we started with just a couple clients around Toronto. And now we're across North America, which is really exciting. Well, that's great. And it amazes me. There's this whole infrastructure for hiring, recruiting, staffing for this industry, which was, you know, is nascent and still growing. But Mm. I guess I'd ask you, I'm more familiar. I'm from the CPG or consumer packaged goods world. And we had all these headhunters and Mm -hmm. someone would call you. And if you worked at Kraft, they'd call you to work at Procter & Gamble. I wonder Mm -hmm. how often do you go outside the cannabis industry? Do you look to people in, let's say, consumer packaged goods to recruit them to the cannabis industry? Are the skill sets the same? Yeah, that's a great question, Andrew. Uh, You know, oftentimes our clients do want, you know, fresh ideas coming into the industry. And so we are recruiting for, you know, various roles and looking at options outside of the industry. I think it's important to do that. I really advocate for that. You know, there's a limited number of cannabis companies in Canada. And if they're all just swapping players at one point or another, we're just going to get the same output. So we need to bring fresh ideas into the industry. So I'm a big uh, proponent of that and advocate for that. So yes, we're um, CPG, you nailed it. Anything alcohol related, pharma, it, it is tough to get, to get people from pharma to go into cannabis though, because it, they're just very well paid in pharma. But, but uh, CPG definitely, uh, because that is what cannabis is, is it's going to be a consumer packaged good and it's going to be a fast moving consumer packaged good at some point as well so yeah we're you know if we i've placed people that have worked at craft and pepsi things like that absolutely so uh, what i'd like to know graden is a little background to you why don't you kind of tell us 
where you got started. I'm talking all the way back. Uh, where were you born? Talk a little about your background, and, and then we'll talk about your uh, how you moved into the cannabis industry. I've got a bit of a funny story. Uh, so I'm from Calgary. I grew up there. Super, super great life growing up there. I'm very fortunate. Uh, I had a great family. Uh, still have a great family. Good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, I moved to Toronto. I always knew I wanted to live in Toronto. I had never been there. I had never one step foot in Toronto, but I some it was just calling my name. Uh, so I applied to Ryerson and U of T. I didn't apply to any other schools in Canada. My parents were kind of upset. They were like, what if you don't get in? I'm like, I'm going to get in. Don't worry. Uh, so I got into U of T and uh, booked my flight and moved here. And so that was um, 11 or 12 years ago. And uh, I love Toronto. So I, I stuck around. I went to University of Toronto for a couple of years. I ended up actually dropping out. It wasn't for me. The school, I just didn't feel like I was getting any genuine ROI by being there. Um, and I kind of just wanted to be in the real world. So left school and I entered the music industry, um, which is a industry I've been participating in for a while. Uh, as a as a young boy and a teenager, I was making music and pursuing that and doing all sorts of entrepreneurial um, endeavors around music. And so when I left university, I uh, did a couple stints at different things like record labels and booking agencies. And I just, you know, networked the hell out of Toronto. Um, I used to bring business cards everywhere I went, even though I didn't have a business, <laughs> just <laughs> cards with my, my name on them. And I'd go to every, I'd go to, you know, every single show that was happening in Toronto. I'd, I'd be out five days a week, just, um, you know, drinking water on a Monday night at some punk rock concert or some rap concert and just, trying to meet bands and people that were doing things within the, the music industry. And uh, that led me to all sorts of really cool and fun things that I got to do in my early 20s. I toured California twice. I toured Canada. Um, I, I just did a lot of cool, fun stuff that is just like great life memories. Um, and then from there, I ended up working at a a clothing store on Queen Street that was quite popular called Untitled & Co. Uh, shout out to my friend Cameron. Um, and he hired me and I was sort of, you know, his almost like assistant manager type thing. And uh, Cameron would host parties at uh, the store on Queen uh, every Thursday. And then that party would go to different clubs in Toronto. And eventually through that, I became a, a club promoter for about a year. And around that time, I kind of stopped pursuing music. I wasn't really, uh, I didn't really have a North, North Star anymore for, for music. And so I kind of pumped the brakes. Um, and I wasn't really sure where my life was going to go at that time. I'm sure my parents were very concerned, but I wasn't. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, I had some friends move from Calgary to Toronto. And uh, I was this very tapped in and plugged in person in Toronto. And I just kind of knew a lot of people and I, you know, could get them into clubs and we were young and that was the time to go to clubs. And so a couple of my friends turned to me one night and they say, you should get into recruitment. And I go, what is that? Mm. And they explained, you know, you, you place people in, in jobs, you know, companies hire you to find them people and then you, you get a fee. Uh, from the company. 
And I thought, that's pretty good. And they said, you know, you're really good with people. You have a great memory for names. That was, I remember that was one thing that my friend Braden, he po- he pointed out. He was like, your, your ability to remember names is really good. And that's just a good skill to have in recruitment. That's kind of like a bonus just to remember people and things about them. And I've always been a people person. So I thought, okay, this is kind of cool. They said, apply to the company that we work at. And so I did, but I, I didn't think I, I was going to get the job. Like I don't have a university degree. And I just sort of figured that th- that company like that, you know, that's on Bay Street is only going to hire people with degrees. But I got the interview. Uh, it was three, four rounds. Uh, <laughs> the last interview, I was literally drenched in sweat. I was wearing a suit, <laughs> but I got the job. Uh, and from there, I, I just sort of flourished in recruitment. It just kind of made sense to me. Um, I, it was kind of bizarre. I was like, it's just something like really clicked, um, just dealing with the people and negotiating and managing sort of, uh, messaging and communication and being that middleman. So, uh, worked there for three years. I got promoted to be an account executive. So I was managing, um, Citibank and TD bank as, as clients and managing a little team. And, um, that was really great. And then during that time though, I, I kind of got depressed actually, because, I just realized that I, my whole passion for life and sort of music and stuff had been thrown to the wayside. And I realized that I needed to reintegrate uh, the, the thing that sort of got me excited about life, um, which was music. So I got together with a couple friends and uh, we pooled a bit of money and we opened up a recording studio. And the idea was that we would bring artists in and we would uh, work with them on records and uh, write songs with them for free. So no one was doing this in Toronto at the time. I don't think anyone does this still. Um, we, you know, we all had day jobs, but we all really, really cared about music. And we wanted to contribute to the music scene and get back into doing something that we loved. So for me, it was perfect because I would go to work nine to five and then after work, you know, go to the gym and then go to the studio for five or six hours and just write songs with awesome people. And my duty in the, there was three of us and my duty and uh, it was shout out to Ill Vibe and, uh, and Meyer Clarity. That was who I started it with. And uh, my duty was to bring in the artists because I was like one of the more connected guys and sort of in, in the scene a bit more because I was still going to shows at the time. So I knew some upcoming singers in Toronto that were doing really cool things. So I would bring the artists in and I was one of the songwriters as well. So I did that for a, a couple of years while, you know, being uh, at the recruitment firm that I worked at. And uh, and then we kept upgrading the studio uh, because we just would have to move or at least would run out. And then, you know, we just kept wanting to do this. And soon we had hundreds of songs. Hey, Toronto, the GTA and parts beyond. Sign up for a subscription box from the Henderson Brewing Company, where every month you will get the special seasonal release, plus three other unique taproom-only beers mailed anywhere in Canada. Available in four, six, or 12-month subscriptions, these packs are great for any beer lover, including, yes, yourself. Order now at hendersonbrewing.com or visit their taproom and retail store at 128A Sterling Road along the West Toronto Railpath. Henderson Brewing and the Toronto Legends Podcast, a great local partnership. And so, Graydon, the, I guess what's incredible to me when I hear this story is you deserve some kind of uh, award for courage because here you go. You move from one city to another, sight unseen. You leave school in the middle. 
You go into the cannabis industry. You go into the music industry. This is stuff that uh, I don't want to sound like your your dad, but this is stuff that would scare any parents. And yet here now you can look back. And I mean, you were you had a lot of courage and a lot of uh, gumption to do all this. But Thank you. it all worked out. So the studio kept evolving. And then uh, through that, I met some amazing artists that I, you know, uh, continue to work with today. And um, I met one named Frank Mighty, uh, who actually I had gone to high school with him in Calgary. Uh, we were friends, but not, you know, we didn't hang out every day. He was just a good guy I knew in high school um, that I would see at parties and, you know, see in the hallway, things like that. We had a lot of mutual friends too. He was an indie rock artist. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not even the biggest indie rock fan, but uh, I heard his music and I was, I was kind of blown away. You know, someone told him, uh, you know, someone told me, I think, to reach out to him and invite him to the studio. And because, you know, oh, he's in he's in Toronto now, might as well invite an old. So we jammed and we wrote a couple really, really amazing songs. And I was just so impressed with him as an artist. I just thought, wow, this guy's got something really unique here. Um, you know, he was singing. He wasn't singing about his ex-girlfriend. He was singing about like his best friend. Um, you know, he was singing about ideas and concepts and as opposed to just like the traditional like heartbreak love song kind of thing. So, and plus his voice was just incredible and he was just really talented. And so for about a, a year and a bit, I kind of just did random things for him. I just did random favors for him uh, because I said in my mind, I'm like, I want to manage this guy because I think he's going to be something special. And so mm -hmm. I just kind of decided that I was going to do things for him. <laughs> and he, at the start, he was like, why are you doing these things for me? Like I would set up a meeting for him and he'd be like, why, why are you doing this? Like he would be very confused, rightly so, because it was a little strange. I get that. Um, but I, but I, my ultimate plan was to get him to ask me to be his manager and, and it worked. So a, a year later, he, he phones me one day and he's like, hey, man, I, I need a manager and I can't think of anyone else except you. So I was like, oh, you don't say. Um, so <laughs> well, you proved yourself. Yeah, that was always my my plan. I thought, you know, if I could add value to him and he could see that I have, I have like a lot of, uh, I have a big network that I've never been able to really leverage for anyone that, you know, I could be his manager. So, so that, that happened. Um, this is a bit, this is a little bouncing all over, but that happened uh, after uh, the pandemic, I believe, or just, yeah, that happened during the pandemic in 2020, but in 2019, sorry, I'll rewind. In 2018, I was still working at my uh, at the recruitment firm. Uh, we did tech recruitment for banks. And then my older brother phones me, shout out to Jameson. Uh, he phones me and he says, you need to get into the cannabis industry. And I said, I don't know anything about cannabis. And he said, you just got to get into the industry. So I, I toyed around with some ideas, one of them being a, an, an app. I developed an app for a bit. It was a cannabis delivery app. But... If anyone's ever tried to develop an app, it's extremely expensive. I sunk some money into it and uh, I kind of just hit a wall. I didn't know where to proceed. I, you know, I didn't know how to get funding or anything like that. So I stopped doing that. And then, you know, I was thinking, you know, what else could I do? And uh, I'm talking to my older brother and uh, he's in the cannabis industry as well. He, he does a lot of cool different things. But at the time he, he says, well, why don't you just do what you currently do, but for cannabis companies? Mm hmm and I thought, that's a really good idea, actually. So I, I thought, okay, yeah, there's going to be a market where cannabis entrepreneurs who are making these cannabis companies are going to need people. And they're not going to have time to find people for their companies. 
and the way companies succeed is people. So I thought, okay, that's great. And then on the other side, I thought the big recruitment firms aren't going to touch cannabis with a 10-foot pole for at least five years. Even if it is fully legal, they're not going to touch it because they're going to have all these blue chip clients that aren't going to want to like have their, you know, association with, with cannabis. They're not going to want that, you know. Um, and these big recruitment firms, they're doing fine. They've got Amazon and Google and, you know, the banks and whatever. So they're going to be looking at cannabis like small potatoes for years. So I had that. And then I looked at how much money I had made the current company I was working at over the span of a year. And I thought, well, if I made half as much as that for myself, I'd be sitting pretty. So Mm -hmm. um, I thought, okay, I've got an idea here. And then through fortuitous events, I was at a coffee shop and I met my business partner, my now business partner. And he, he had the same idea I had uh, to make a, a solely focused cannabis recruitment firm. And that was in September of 2018. And so, you know, naturally, as I always do, I, I started a little side, another side hustle. So I was working my job, running the studio. And, and then I was also building this company on the side, um, which, uh, <laughs> you know, was probably going against the contract that I had signed with my actual company. Uh, but I did it anyways. It wasn't, I wasn't taking clients from them, but um, I was definitely checking some, some other emails during work hours. Uh, that's for sure. And going on extra coffee breaks to make phone calls. <laughs> uh, but we, I, I built the company at the root of it with, with Jerome, my business partner, for about eight or nine months while I was doing working my full time job and everything. And then July 3rd, 2019, I, I quit my job and everyone at the company was really confused because I was doing really well <laughs> at the company. And I was like, I'm out of here. <laughs> and they were yeah. like, what the hell? And so I, that, and then the very next day I was working on white ash group and, uh, and here we are now. Oh, it's amazing. And I think, you know, that's the entrepreneurial spirit right there. You had mm-hmm. the kind of bird in hand, but you wanted more for yourself. And clearly you were able to identify your strengths were in people and networking and to bring that to this nascent industry before other bigger firms got in. It all sounds good to me. What's been Thank the biggest you. challenge? It's just, it's great. I mean, it's obviously on the right track. What's been the biggest challenge you've faced when working with cannabis companies and brands? That's a good question. I think, uh, I mean, there's so many. I mean, how much time do you have? <laughs> um, <laughs> the, you know, they're chaotic. These companies are absolutely chaotic because there's just, there's no rule book. So there's so many layers to this because there's no rule book. The companies are trying to figure out how to do things. They're trying to set up their processes. They're trying to set up their procedures. Meanwhile, they're trying to make viable products and compete in a very competitive market extremely competitive in Canada. There's 900 licenses to grow cannabis in in Canada, and that's just too many. And there's a bazillion cannabis retail stores, and that's too many. So that that is a challenge. You know, there it's a lot of moving goalposts with with cannabis. You know, when I recruited for banks, we got the job and the job never changed because the banks have their, you know, their shit in order. So it is what it is. They need this and they need it now. And it's not going to change because it's always been that way. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not exciting, but it's predictable with cannabis. Things are very exciting and very un- unpredictable. So we'll be working on a, you know, a, a VP of sales job. And then we get a call from a client and they go, Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, w- we decided we're not going to, 
We're not going to have a VP of sales. We're going to have, I don't know, this. And it's something completely different. And you've got to pivot. I honestly joke with my business partner, Jerome, that we're glutton for punishment. Like this is the hardest industry to recruit for because it's so complex. It's constantly moving. Uh, clients get, we have clients that are being bought by other clients or other companies. So, so, so all of a sudden you have a really reliable client that, you know, is doing a lot of hiring with you and then they get bought by someone else. And then that client is just gone. So mm -hmm. there's so much consolidation happening constantly in the industry. Um, so that, that proves to be a, a big challenge overall. Um, also just, you know, money, it, it's, it's hard to, you know, raise capital in this market right now in this economy. And, you know, a lot of these companies are, are struggling, uh, financially in some ways. So in a lot of ways, and, uh, you know, just like, I spend a lot of time chasing invoices, <laughs> like, mm. You know, just that's just not a thing you do when you work at a big recruitment firm and your clients are Amazon and, and Apple, they pay on time, you know, so, but you know what, I love it. I, I'm those sound like complaints, but I just know that it's making me better at what I do. Well, clearly you can work in times of change and you know, the old adage, the only constant is change certainly seems right. that way in this industry. Great. And I wonder what techniques or channels have been most effective for, for cannabis companies looking to recruit marketing talent. That's an interesting question. I think that overall, companies have to look at recruitment as uh, as something that is difficult and requires attention and a strategy and a 360 degree strategy. A lot of companies and a lot of leaders in companies will see recruitment as sort of an afterthought. Because once you get to a certain point in your career, you've probably hired someone, or maybe two or three people, and you've been in some interviews. So you believe in your mind, like, I know how to hire people. I've hired people before. But hiring to grow is a really difficult thing. Uh, there's so many moving parts and attracting the right people is hard. Uh, just because you've hired one person does not mean that you actually know how to hire the right people. Um, so, you know, that that's a reason that companies would use us because we're that's all we do is hire and interview people constantly. It's the only thing we do really. So mm -hmm. I think to attract the right people, you need to have the right strategy. You want to be looking at pulling all the levers, you know, looking your, at your own network, posting online, um, ensuring that your, your job is uh, clear and that you actually know what you're looking for. I think a lot of these companies fumble things because they have a vague idea of what their job will be. And then they have a vague idea of what, the person will do once the bum is in the seat and they don't have a game plan for them uh, moving forward and they don't have a, a growth plan either. And nowadays people really want to know when they start a job, where are they going? They don't just, people no longer think about just today, they're thinking about tomorrow. And so that's something that you, you have to have in place. And then obviously if you can work with a recruitment firm, you're going to just have better results and you're going to hire faster. You're going to save time and money by hiring faster and you're going to hire correctly because hiring the wrong person is incredibly expensive. You know, on average, if you hire the wrong person and you have to fire them within three or four months, it can cost a company anywhere from 40,000 to a hundred thousand dollars for that loss of time and resources and money and opportunity. Yeah. Well, I wonder what channels you, you kind of use and what's been effective in terms of finding good candidates. I would have said you'd, immediately look at traditionally regulated industries like tobacco mm -hmm. and alcohol. Is that where you get everyone or is that where people think you should be getting people from? 
Yeah, you know, there was a big push at the start of legalization, Andrew, where everyone said, let's just go and get all the beer guys because beer and cannabis are the same, but it's really not. It's, you know, there was a, a big exodus from the industry of people that were at, you know, Molson and, and Labatt uh, and companies like like this and that. And um, But beer and tobacco and these regulated industries, yes, they're regulated, but they are so uh, ingrained in our culture already and accepted that it's not hard to sell beer because everyone knows what beer is and everyone knows what beer tastes like and everyone knows what it should be like and everyone knows the effects of it. With cannabis, it is so much more complex because you know the way you know um, a product would interact with my body and my endocannabinoid system would be a lot different than how it would interact with yours, Andrew. And so it's so nuanced and there's so many challenges there. Plus there's a, there's an overall stigma. Um, so selling is just not the same. So initially to answer your question, it was people were asking us to find them, um, you know, Bev, uh, alcohol and tobacco people. Um, and we we're still doing that, but, uh, now we're looking at, you know, different industries like, okay, can you come from, I don't know, can you come from tech? Can you come from, uh, like you said, and like Lay's or Pepsi, things like that. Anything that has a framework and is uh, something where you have to navigate the regulations and frameworks to work and play within the rules is obviously great. But in saying that, it doesn't it doesn't mean it doesn't correlate to success success for someone in an industry because you have to you have to really love the plant. I think you got to have a lot of passion for it because um, it's a labor of love, and you know cannabis isn't this industry where you're going to get rich quick. So you have to love it. And then, you know, be open to learning really fast. Well, I wonder, uh, among all the stigmas that are attached to cannabis, what's kind of the one that you jumps out to you that you say, if I could change this stigma, it would change the way people looked at cannabis? I think if we change the way that society viewed women who smoke cannabis, I think that would have the, the largest effect because I think that would trickle down to everything in the industry. I think women are still looked at differently if they consume cannabis. Uh, and that's unfortunate. I don't know what that's from, but that's just some some nonsense that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but I think that would have the largest impact on the industry as a whole because if we can, if women are are more accepted into the cannabis industry, not only from a working standpoint, you know, there's not enough women leaders in the cannabis industry, and there should be. Um, that's something I kind of gripe about in in the industry is that we have an opportunity to like create an industry from the ground up, like, let's make it diverse and inclusive. Like, we have the chance, they don't really have the chance in banking to do that. You know, it's kind of set in stone. Unfortunately, it's going to take a lot of time to change. With cannabis, we have the opportunity. So I think, um, I know I kind of diverted away from your 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 question there. But I would say if, if we could clear the stigma up with, with women, that would be great. And even from a business perspective, you're you're losing half the market when you don't include everyone. So as yeah, you know, exactly. You are exactly. It's it's right there, and uh, you know, I, I, it, cannabis should be for everyone. You know, if it's you know, I, I just think it's an amazing product that once you find the thing that works for you, it's a fantastic thing to integrate into your life. What advice do you give to people looking to enter the cannabis industry, especially in marketing? I would say get really knowledgeable on the current products that are in the market and the ones that are moving, figure out why they're moving. What are the commonalities? I would say study the companies 
and learn about the plant. And then once you have that base knowledge, start having conversations, get on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is just the best source. That's where the cannabis industry lives. I'm on there all of the time, probably too much. And, uh, but it's LinkedIn has been integral to, to me building my, my company uh, and us getting to where we are today. So get on LinkedIn, connect with people, ask them for Zoom chats or coffee chats and start seeing how you could provide value in the industry. Um, it's hard. I mean, it, it, it's hard to get into the industry, but it's not impossible. If you, if you make it your goal, and you, you could make it happen. But from a marketing standpoint, I think it's really important to understand the products um, and look at innovation as well, like where, where, where are things going? Well, some things don't change, right? It's all about networking, knowing the industry mm. you want to get into. Yeah. Those fundamentals are still there. Absolutely. Great. And I want to ask you about, uh, with recreational legalization, increasing cannabis supply by increasing the number of retail outlets was expected to help combat the illicit or black market. Is that what has actually occurred or, or is the black market still thriving? In my opinion, the black market is still thriving. And I think most people would agree with me. Uh, there's a couple things that make it thrive. One being the uh, limitations on, uh, I guess we can call it the potency of the cannabis. Um, you know, things like edibles and, and gummies and, and uh, you know, drinks and things like that are pretty limited in, uh, you know, the, the legally regulated cannabis that we have in Canada. Uh, but the black market can just do whatever they want and they can do a lot of fun things with uh, the branding as well. Marketing and branding is very limited in the in the legal space. You can't use certain colors. Uh, you can't you know you can't have the logo big. Uh, there's just not an there's just not a lot of opportunity for fun, which is very unfortunate because <laughs> cannabis is like a fun thing. The whole you know original cannabis culture is it's you look at the you know original graphics of um, and designs of products and you're like wow that is just a fun cool product. But in Canada, it's everything's a bit more subdued and quiet uh, and more subtle. So not as fun. So, you know, the, the black market thrives because of that. And also just the cost. I think things can be just be a little bit cheaper in the black market um, and higher quality sometimes because what happens is that these, you know, massive publicly traded companies are trying to just do, they're trying to cut corners and they're trying to, they're not they're trying to rush their their grow um meanwhile no one else is is needing to to rush things in the black market and so they've they've just got higher quality and they know their their customers want higher quality cannabis and the the customers that go to the black market actually know what high quality cannabis is meanwhile a regular you know everyday joe who doesn't know much about cannabis will smoke uh you know this product made by this huge corporation that, and he won't, he doesn't know. So, it's, but, but there's a ton of, ton of customers still going to the black market. And if we can get them to the legal market by growing better cannabis and having, you know, uh, more fun with our, our brands, I think that would be really good for the economy. We're missing out on a lot of money there. Mm. Well, Everyone likes to hear, certainly from the regulatory standpoint, if they can get their hands on the money, that's an, a big incentive for them to loosen things up a little. Absolutely. You talked about the importance of branding. Do you think there's an opportunity for private label cannabis? The same way there's Dare chocolate chip cookies and there's President's Choice chocolate chip cookies. 
or is there always going to be uh, more importance to the brands that the, the consumers know as opposed to from a particular retail outlet? I think in the future, there's going to be several large companies, kind of like how we have, you know, WestJet and Air Canada, because I think Canada just likes to roll that way, you know, tell us Rogers. I think there's going to be a couple large producers of cannabis, and then uh, they'll have, you know, 80 or 90% of the market. And then I think, you know, 10% will be left to smaller companies that have not sold uh, their uh, operations to the larger companies. And they're going to make some really unique, fun, independent products that, you know, we'll, we'll call them craft, basically. Mm. Yeah. We'll see some consolidation. Yes, absolutely. Great. And let's talk about your life outside of work. One thing that caught my eye is the April edition of Toronto Life magazine. The headline, <laughs> you know, you know what's coming. The headline was, this managing partner at a recruitment firm makes $160,000 a year. How does he spend it? And it went on to talk about all the ways you use your money and how you all live. All the ways I irresponsibly use my money. <laughs> well, I, first of all, uh, how did that all come together? And, and I did want to ask you, what was the feedback to that being published in such a prominent magazine? Like oh, Toronto the feedback was, was terrible. <laughs> it's like, fuck this guy. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, like, I try to remind myself that uh, it's like that's what is the, the quote, the man in the arena, you know, that quote, I try to remind myself about that, that quote every day, you know, uh, that I'm in the game. And so sometimes you get criticized by people, who are in the game, but I'm, but I'm in the arena doing the thing that came together because I actually know someone who works at Toronto life and, uh, he was doing this piece and I'm, you know, I'm happy being pretty public and open about things. I, I think it's important. And, you know, my, I'd like to take any opportunity I can to inspire people. Um, not saying that I'm any finished letter. I'm still working on myself and I have plenty of ways to go, but I, I like to inspire people if I can. Um, but yeah, that came together uh, because I knew someone at Toronto Life and they just thought, hey, let's let's get you on this. You, you probably have something interesting to say. So I just told them how I irresponsibly spend my money <laughs> and... Uh, they, I said, they asked, they asked me what my investments are. I said, mostly stocks. And they said, do you have any crypto? And I go, yeah, I've got some crypto. And then that's what they put in there. Wow. <laughs> it made me sound you, like a, a crypto bro, but I, I don't really, I'm not really a crypto guy. I, you, uh, you read my mind, grade, And it said, what I wanted to draw out of that was the most interesting part was your crypto investments. I was going to ask if you're still bullish on crypto based on what happened. But uh, as you just noted, the yeah, kind of, no, uh, I've, just, <laughs> I've just got a little tiny bit of Bitcoin and I've got some Ethereum, but I don't have any of the other <laughs> the other ones. I think the only one that has any utility is actually Ethereum and uh, and Bitcoin, but everything else is kind of just fairy dust to me. Glad we could clarify, not a crypto bro. <laughs> uh, I do, I do want to give you a chance to shout out your uh your client there, Frank Mighty. Do you just want to talk yes. about what's going on and, and what's next on that project? Yeah, shout out to, to Frank Mighty. We, uh, we've done a lot of cool things. We've been working together for uh, over two years now. He put out an EP called Whisper Songs that everyone should go check out. It's on Spotify. It's really great. I like to describe him as uh, Bon Iver mixed with glass animals. That's kind of the sound. Uh, it's like fun, uh, experimental indie rock with some pop flair and uh yeah next year is going to be really cool we have a ton of singles coming out he's got a song that's going to be in a huge netflix show in the the start of the year 
I don't think I'm allowed to say it yet, but uh, it's a really big show. So we're really excited about that. He's also going to be playing at the Drake Hotel um, in in the in uh, the first quarter of the year. So that's fun. And we've got him booked for some festivals. So we're doing a lot of cool stuff. I'm super proud and excited. Um, the music is absolutely phenomenal. And uh, it's just everything keeps getting better. We just keep growing and growing and doing cool stuff. So I'm very grateful I get to be a part of it. Well, it's great. You got so many facets to your life. It was interesting to spend time with you today, hear about everything going on. And I want you to give us a masterclass now in with all your networking skills. I'm going to ask you, Graydon, where we can best follow you and the White Ash Group and Frank Mighty. Let's see how you compress it all to uh, okay. tell people where to go. So let's let's start uh, not with me. Let's start with uh, you can find White Ash Group at www.whiteashgroup.com. We post all our jobs that we're working on there. Uh, if you're looking to hire, you can also reach us reach us there as well. Super easy. Um, you can also find us on LinkedIn. We're pretty big there uh, just by searching White Ash Group. I'm on LinkedIn as well. Easy to find there. Uh, in terms of Frank Mighty, best way would be to follow him on Apple or Spotify or Amazon Music, wherever you listen to music, simply Frank Mighty. And on Instagram, he's Frank Mighty's Hotline. And you'll find all the updates there and exciting news there. And then if you want to reach out to me, I'm really easy, super easy to find. You can find me on LinkedIn, Graydon Wellborn. Um, my email is graydon.wellborn at whiteashgroup.com. Very simple. And then my Instagram is sincerely Graydon. And, and that's it. Those are the ways to find me. You did it. Fabulous. I love the flow. <laughs> Covered all the bases. This was great getting to know you. And I, obviously, 2023 is going to be a big year for you in all Thank your you. different buckets. So uh, I appreciate your time. And I wish you continued success, Graydon. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on Toronto Legends, Andrew. I, I really appreciate this. My pleasure. And to the listeners, we thank you for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends podcast powered by the Henderson Brewing Company. And on behalf of Graydon Wellborn, I am Andrew Applebaum saying mahalo. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.